This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. The whole key definition of the word unmasked. And honestly, one of the things that I've been processing through is, is whenever you start to unmask things, number one, things can get a little messy. Number two, things can start to unravel, and it's the messiness that leads to the unraveling, and the unraveling leads to the breakthrough. And then when the breakthrough comes, you look back and you go, it's almost like you know nine months of carrying a child, and then you have this breakthrough of waters, as they say, and uh, this baby comes, and it's amazing how in that moment you've forgotten all of the pain of the last 24 hours, Right? I want to encourage you this morning, do not be dismayed or do not be distracted by what you see going on around you in your life. This is good. God is shaking things. God is moving things. God is doing something. He's working in your situations and in your life. And I believe this morning that God is going to take it to a whole other level. Do you believe that this morning? All three of you. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Awesome. Um, When I came here, actually prior to coming to Kingston, uh, about nine years ago, I had an incredible kind of encounter with God and an incredible incredible encounter in some ways with the enemy at Fort Henry a number of years ago. Actually, it was the summer of 2007, so nine years ago to be correct. And when I was there, I literally, God just showed me a picture of the spirits that are in operation over the city. We started by talking about the general a couple of weeks ago, Leviathan, and we did two weeks on Leviathan. Uh, The last two weeks we've done on the spirit of religion, Um, and today we're actually going to talk about um, just such a wonderful, warm, and fuzzy topic called witchcraft. Now, before you all leave the room or throw things at me, I just want to encourage you uh, with a couple of things. I think the greatest deception in the church world today is this thing called witchcraft, because in our minds we think of witchcraft as, uh, I dream of genie, charmed, uh, the Wicked Witch of the East from The Wizard of Oz, which I just saw in a play a couple of weeks ago. Um, we think of that kind of concept. We may think of Harry Potter. We may think of all those things. And all of those things are real, and, and they're not good. We don't support any of that stuff. But what I want to say this morning is witchcraft, biblic- the biblical definition of witchcraft and your understanding of it culturally are very different. Very different. Okay? Oh, sorry, that's the plane coming to pick me up and take me to Hawaii. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jesus. Right on time. And I want to start this morning um, with a verse from the book of Galatians that we actually talked about last week. We talked about how the spirit of religion used a group of people called Judaizers to influence and try to penetrate uh, the New Testament church to bring confusion and disorder. Um, And so I'm going to start right there. One of the things you're going to see dealing with the spirit of religion, dealing with the spirit of witchcraft, and dealing with the spirit of Jezebel, which we're going to talk about soon is they all work together. Every one of them works together in such a real way that it literally, um, you you can see how they literally interweave uh, interweave between each other. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Who has bewitched you. It's amazing where Paul's response to a spirit of religion is, is, who has got witchcraft involved with your religious experiences? That's what he basically called them on. And the word bewitched literally means to malign, to captivate with false representations. 
Well, what does the word malign mean? Well, the word malign means to be evil in nature, in your influence or in your effect, to speak harmful untruths, slander or defame someone, to speak in a critical manner. How many have ever had that happen in your life? Okay. All right. All two of you. Wow, that's interesting. How many have ever had someone do that against you in your life? On Facebook this week. Okay, anyone? Okay, good. All right, all right. Now, of course, the question that I don't want any answer, how many have ever been used by that spirit to do that to somebody else? No hands up, please. God wants to set you free this morning. If that's you, again, I want to say this morning, once again, that we've said in every other message, is this message series, we believe, is speaking to the city. Now, some of this is going to address you. Some of it's going to be about you or about us or about our church. Some of it's going to be a warning for us in the future for things that we have to look out for. But ultimately, this message series is for the city of Kingston. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 29, it literally references Paul uh, referencing all the works of the flesh. And one of the things that it actually references in verse 20 is this word witchcraft. So literally, the Bible says that witchcraft is a work of the flesh. It is not a work of the Holy Spirit. It is a work of your carnal nature, of all of those things inside of you that fights against doing what is right. How many have ever seen a child fight against their parents? How many have ever been to McDonald's uh, Playland recently? And you've seen that several times. How many wish that you could go into McDonald's Playland and do a parenting seminar right in the midst of the Playland? Am I the only one? I have, I have like videos and booklets and, and binders to hand out to all the parents every time I go to McDonald's because I see some of the worst form of parenting in the world at McDonald's Playland. Anyhow, okay, I digress. But what in the world is witchcraft? What is the spirit of witchcraft? Well, here it is. Are you ready? It's not, you know, somebody with a little, uh, you know, broomstick or someone doing these little spells, even though it does involve that culturally speaking. But from a biblical perspective, this is what it is. It is a demonic spirit that seeks to exercise control over an individual through manipulation, domination, and deception. It is a spirit, a demonic spirit that seeks to exercise control over an individual through manipulation, domination, and deception. And you know what the key to everything that it does is? Words. It will use words. What it says out of his mouth is how it manipulates, how it dominates, and how it deceives you into coming under its control. Kind of a little bit different than what we would think of when we hear witchcraft, eh? Totally different. Um, James chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Great verse about the influence of words, and it says this, Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues... We would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. In other words, if we can get our mouth in order, we can get everything else in order. Right? He goes on in in this chapter and describes a lot of different things, but verse 3 really struck me. It says this, We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. Now, I'm not well-versed on... horses or equestrian or anything to do with horses or live animals, but my wife is, Sandra is. And by the way, be praying for her because she's actually down the road at Westside Fellowship speaking down there uh, at Westside Fellowship. So let's be praying for her this morning uh, as she gives a a message down there. Uh, We're just trying to bless and help each other out in the city, and we have a 
the pastoral team away there. And so we said, listen, Sandra can go. And uh, so she's down there this morning. But she taught me a little bit about this whole idea of a bit and a brittle. And so I want to just say this morning, it's amazing to me that a small, tiny little bit can control a thousand-pound beast. How is that possible? Well, when the rider pulls the rein, the bit presses on the tongue and applies pressure to the horse's gums, which are the most sensitive part of a horse because of the nerve endings that are there in his mouth. That causes the horse to turn in the direction that the rider wants him to go in order to alleviate the pressure. So he will go in the direction of the rider in order to alleviate the pressure. This is what someone under the spell of witchcraft will do with you. They will put emotional, verbal, mental anguish and pressure on you and cause you to give in and do what they want you to do in order for them to get their way. But then you come under their influence and you literally come under their control. And I'll tell you this morning, this happens far too many times in churches. When I first moved to the city, I shared this in the pre-service prayer, but when I first moved to the city, one of the things I wanted to do was find out a little bit of the history. I found out some of the history in churches. I found out some of the the history with pastors, with congregational members, especially those that had been in that church for a long time. And the one thing that I found out very quickly was that every single church split that I found out about or every single church issue that I found out about in the city of Kingston eight years ago, it, it had the same kind of ring to it. Different people, different faces, different look, different this, but the same situations were happening, and in the same way, and I have news for you this morning, this is the spirit that splits churches. This spirit. How do I know? Thank you for asking. Wow, that was awesome, so sensitive. Um, How do I know? Because this same spirit tried to infiltrate our church in the first two to three years. And we had to become very aware of it very quickly, and when we were aware of it, we dealt with it quickly, and, and we dealt with it. But unfortunately, we saw a little bit of collateral damage as a result of it because we didn't realize what that spirit was doing behind the scenes without us knowing. And we had to deal with it. The good thing is, is we've become well-versed now on how to deal with these things. I feel like I'm a professional <laughs> when it comes to dealing with some of these spiritual pushbacks in the church world. So again, I want to say, just the same way we said about the spirit of religion, anybody is susceptible to this, okay? Anybody is. And one of the things that I find interesting in comparison to the horse is that the very pressure that is put on you is always put on your mouth. Doesn't that ring a bell? When we're under pressure, what usually goes very quickly? Right? What causes the most damage? What hurts other people? It's the same patterns. We're just like a horse, right? And the spirit that comes in, that spirit of witchcraft will come in, will try to manipulate, emotionally manipulate you to come under its control and under its deception so that you start to speak things out of your mouth that are not in alignment with God's words, but the enemy's. James 3, verses 8 to 10, it goes on and it says, But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. Sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. Now, I want to just put in a little disclaimer here so that we understand. I am not talking about dealing or confronting with issues. Okay? 
to confront issues, to, to be real, to be assertive, to be transparent, to share your heart with someone, to get to the bottom of a conflict between you and somebody else, that is good. We should do that. Matthew 18 supports that. But I'm talking about a spirit of manipulation that its whole goal is to become Academy Award winning in its performances in order to get you to come under its control. Okay? So there's a huge difference. All right? I also want to say that someone who comes under that control and does things in an unhealthy way are not witches. So don't go out of this place saying, anyone who does that's a witch. That's what the pastor said. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is they can come under that influence. They can come under that control. Okay? So every time you see that person and you really think that, just you know, get the little picture of the wicked witch of the East in your mind, and then you start singing. And then you'll know, and then they'll run away and everything will be fine. Just like Jaws theme music, right? You just know something's about to happen. Just start singing that song and you'll just see them all run away. It's all good. Okay. Coming back to the message here. It says, sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Cursing coming out of your mouth. That cursing is a form of witchcraft. Blessing is speaking in alignment with God's word. Cursing is speaking in alignment with Satan's word. Okay? It's that simple. Proverbs 18.21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat its fruit. The goal of the enemy is to get you to align yourself with his thought pattern, his ways, so that you speak words of death, not only over people, but over your circumstances, over the situations that you're going through. If he can cause you to align yourself with the very word of the enemy, guess what's going to start to happen? You're going to start to see situations and circumstances unravel in an unhealthy way because you've aligned yourself with the enemy's opinion about the situation and not God's. How many know that when you're in the midst of a battle, it's, it's hard? Come on, let's be honest this morning. It is hard. But I have news for you this morning. You can be overcome because the enemy is absolutely not the equal opposite to God. There is no equal opposite to God, so you can overcome it. For every demon, there's two angels. I like my odds. I don't know about you, but if you were to send me in with 100 angels versus 50 demons, I like our odds. Okay? But we have to understand, we, we cannot be ignorant of the enemy's devices in our life. We cannot be ignorant of what he's doing. Because if we're ignorant, we could come under its sway and its influence. So what do people under the influence of the spirit of witchcraft do? Well, thank you for asking. I'm going to tell you. One of the first things they do is they use flattery. They use intimidation. They use emotional tactics to pressure you or cause you to feel guilty in order to get their way. Kind of like the bit in the horse's mouth. Okay? People who are prophetic can become pathetic very quickly by coming under the influence of this spirit. The most dangerous people in the church world that can come under the influence of this spirit are prophetically gifted people. Because one of the first things that happens is they often prophesy or minister to others out of their own insecurity, looking for attention and feedback and, and, and acceptance and approval from the wrong source. So what they do is they actually speak the very words of the enemy over situations and circumstances. This is why we are nitpicky 
as a church about who comes into this church as guest ministry. I've known these people for years. We've got people that have known them for years. We don't just allow anybody into this church to minister, and we definitely don't just allow anyone to pray over you. We have got order, structure, process. Why? Because we love you. We believe that you need to be protected from what the enemy wants to do. That's a good word. Amen. All right. As I actually shared with our Equip 101 class on on Wednesday night, we are called to be fruit inspectors. How many of you have ever been to Loblaws? Okay, I like avocados. Okay, I love avocados, actually. I could have them like three times a day. It's awesome. I love them. How many are guacamole fans? Come on, come on, come on. Okay. So I love avocados, but when you go to Loblaws or Freshco or, or, or you know, No Frills, all the thrills from No Frills, whatever you got to do, and you get into that big bin of avocados, what do you start doing? You start picking through them all and trying to find which one is good, which one's no good. And there's certain little techniques that you can actually do to find out which avocado is good, which ones are ripe, which ones are not ripe, which ones have been sitting there for at least three and a half years. You know what I'm saying? Because in every avocado bin, there's at least five that look like that. Right? How do I know? Trust me, I know. You'll do the same thing with all the other fruit. Why? Because we need to inspect fruit. There's this incredible misnomer in the church world right now that says that we're not called to judge. Oh, thud. Something just went thud in the room. Okay, and you feel that? It's just like, what? Are you telling us that we're supposed to judge? No, the Bible never says in Matthew 7, don't judge. It gives you rules in four verses on how to judge. How many know as parents, you are judging the people that your, your kids are hanging out with? And you should. You should inspect their fruit because if not, some of that bad fruit gets on your kids and it comes in your front door. Right? When they get home from school. You do not want that kind of fruit in your home. We don't want that kind of fruit in this church. Now, the dichotomy for us is how do you be a house of restoration and keep your radar on at the same time? Well, it's very simple. You be a house of restoration and you keep your radar on. (laughs) That's it. That's what you do. You don't turn your radar off. You You don't look at a situation and just go, Oh, everything's fine, and you don't think about it ever again. No, you just get to know people, you connect with people, and and if there's some little things that are kind of ringing a bell for you, you just make sure that you get closer to that person, not further away. Because you want to find out what's going on. That doesn't mean you're influenced by them, but you how many know you got to keep your friends close and then your enemies even closer? Why? Because you want to know what's going on. And how many know you do the same thing as a parent? (laughs) Right? We do. Um we have to inspect people's fruit. And I'll tell you why. People in church in churches that come under the spirit of witchcraft are usually very super spiritual. Okay? In some ways, they're over spiritual. They can quote the Bible. They can prophesy up a storm. They may give you a text in the, in the morning and say, man, I've been up all night praying for you. The reality is, is they were actually up for about five minutes thinking about how they can manipulate you and then they went to bed the rest of the night. And what they've done is they've, they've thought of a pattern on how to draw you in and woo you in. Okay? They will make sure that you know how much that they've done in the church, how much they've done for God, how much God speaks to them, and how gifted they are. Because they love to tell stories about themselves. That's how they function and that's how they work. 
But if I can say again this morning, let's be fruit inspectors. Check their fruit. You know what? Can I tell you, can I let you in a little secret and what questions that I ask in my mind when I'm talking to people? Here's how it goes. How's their home life? Right? What are their relationships like with their family, their spouse, their friends, their children, their coworkers, their neighbors? How do they communicate to people? How do they relate to people? Are their priorities right? What are their finances like? Do they have a job? Can they keep a job? I got people looking at me like it's like, you know, a deer caught in a headlight look. Are we good? Okay, 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 okay. There we go. So true godliness is always shown by fruit. Always. Every single time. You can tell by their fruit. The very next verse after Galatians chapter 5, 20 and 21 and 22, or 20 and 21, it talks about the works of the flesh. It goes in and it actually talks about the, the fruit of the Spirit. And it says that it is love... It is joy, it is peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and it is self-control. Against such things, a religious spirit cannot come against. That's what it's saying. Against such things, there is no law. There's no religious spirit that can put a manipulative witchcraft spirit on you in order to deceive you from what is true, in order to deceive you or manipulate you away from what God is speaking to you. The one thing I've learned as a pastor is is the more spiritual a person becomes, the more balanced and the more relatable they become. When someone's young in the faith and you know, someone's young in the Lord and they get really, really excited about things, I'm all for excitement. How many know we need excitement? But as a lot of the younger people who are young in their faith, and young in their standing, everything is like honeymoon. Everything's, it's either honeymoon or it's the end of the world because everything's extremes. It's like, you know, like God spoke to me, man. He wrote in a wall, and it's awesome. And it's like, whoa, it's one of those things. The reality is, is that's awesome. And we're going to cheerlead you on, and we're going to get excited about it, and we're going to cheerlead you on. But then as you grow in the things of God, you start to chillax a little bit. And you start to realize, you know, God is true, and the word of God is true. And I'm not saying dampen your passion or your enthusiasm. Don't ever stop that. But I'm talking about it, how you perceive the things of God. Your perception is so extreme when you're first a baby Christian. And then as you get older, you realize, man, God's word is just so stabilizing. It's so healthy. It's so foundational. It's so strong. I, I'm just, I feel immovable now because the word of God is planted in my life. Amen? So what are the biblical roots of witchcraft? Well, I'm going to talk about King Saul this morning because he is the best example. So that's where we're going to spend our time this morning He is by far the best example of someone that came under the influence of a spirit of witchcraft. Um, And one of the things I want to say is I want to just kind of lay some foundation before we actually get into a story so that you understand what's happening here. The first thing is this. King Saul was appointed by men. Yes, Samuel came along and anointed him as king, but God's heart for his people were that they were to be ruled by judges. God's people looked at all the other nations that were around them and said, they all have kings. We want to be like them. The spirit of witchcraft loves to compare to something else that you don't currently have and makes you feel like something else is better. 
Are we here this morning? I'm like, that's a good point. That's a good point. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. But you know what I'm saying? So King Saul was appointed by men. Oftentimes, people that operate out of a spirit of witchcraft will be self-appointed or will be man-appointed. The people of Israel rejected God's system, so they wanted their own thing. Okay? Most people who operate out of witchcraft in churches always live out of comparisons to those other things. They often live not in God's authority, but in their own authority. And oftentimes they will absolutely usurp the authority of, of those that are in the house in order to gain authority in their own lives. Okay? They do it in many creative ways. Some of the ways that I'm not limiting it to anything, but one of the biggest, most consistent ways I've ever seen the Spirit operates out of is when they'll come to you and they'll, you'll confide in them and they'll confide in you and they, they give you just enough of their personal life to let you kind of be drawn in. But then one of the things that will often be said, and this is true across the board, it's happened here, but it's across the board, is they'll say stuff like, you know, well, we believe in confidentiality and you shouldn't say anything to anyone else because this is just between you and I. Or they'll say, and trust me, I believe in confidentiality, but not when it means being duped, Right? Or they'll often say, you know, I'm the only one that can help you in this situation. I'm the one that God has sent to you right now in your life to help you with the situation. No one else will understand how to help you. So what are they doing? They're putting them in the position of God. I am God in your life. Therefore, if you don't come back to me, then something's wrong. Right? What are they doing? They're just, get a hook in your back, and they start dragging you back. It's a spirit of witchcraft is what it is, okay? So, 1 Samuel 13. I'm just going to give you a little bit of the background. 1 Samuel 13, Samuel rejects Saul because of an unlawful sacrifice. Saul took the position of somebody that he was not supposed to be. Sound familiar? 1 Samuel 14, Saul's son Jonathan defeats the Philistines, the very Philistine army that Saul couldn't defeat. So what started to take root? Jealousy. Rejection. Jealousy. And now we're going to spend time in chapter 15. In the beginning of chapter 15, Samuel gives Saul some very specific instructions on how to destroy the Amalekites. Um, Very specific instructions. You could not miss what the instructions were. The instructions were basically this. Destroy everything. Don't keep one thing. Don't keep a single cow destroy everything that the Amalekites own. How many know that's pretty clear? Okay? All right. So, starting in verse 9, this is uh, Saul's response to the word of the Lord. Are you ready for this? But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Saul directly disobeys the word of God. But it's amazing here, he didn't stop there. In verse 12, it goes on and it says, So when Samuel arose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed, he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. He set up a monument for himself. Can you imagine disobeying God? And then setting up a monument to absolutely worship the very disobedience that you just did. Why did he set up a monument to himself? Why? Because he knew he was in trouble. 
So the only thing he could do was, was put up a monument in order to show everyone how powerful he was and how amazing of a king and how much he dealt with the things that he did deal with. Okay? It goes on in verse 13. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Confusion! What was the commandment? Destroy everything. What did he do? He definitely didn't do that. So he's convinced himself in verse 13 that he did everything right. So Saul, or sorry, Samuel in verses 14 to 19 confronts King Saul. And it wasn't a happy conversation, if you know what I'm saying. It was confrontational. And Saul's response is recorded in verse 20 and 21, and it says this. And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the plunder sheep and oxen and best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Whenever someone under the spirit of witchcraft is confronted, guess what they do? They made me do it. I have no idea what you're talking about. Adam is confronted in the garden. She made me do it. What was the animal that Satan, Lucifer, uh, took on? A serpent. What are they meant to be? Sneaky, sorceress, witchcrafty, deceiving. Of course you're not going to become like that. God's concerned because you'll become like him. What? She made me do it. Hmm. Very interesting. goes on in verse 22 to 24, or 22 and 23 actually gives away the entire biblical response or understanding of what witchcraft is, okay? So Samuel said, has the Lord as great, del- so has the, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed that than the fat of rams. And here it is, verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as is as iniquity or sin is another word for that and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord and he has also rejected you from being king. So then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. But where did it start? Rejection. So prophetically inclined people can come under that. People that have a history of rejection can come under that. Now, it's, it, it breaks my heart as a pastor to see people growing up in situations where they were rejected, where they weren't accepted, they weren't approved, they weren't validated, all of those things. It breaks my heart as a pastor to see the emotional woundedness of so many people on this earth. When we see people come to our church, when we see people come to encounters, which are awesome. By the way, November 4th and 5th, for those that are taking notes, uh, is our next encounter. But I tell you, it breaks my heart as a pastor to see people so wounded. 
But we have to be aware that the woundedness factor, and as long as we allow it to continue on in our life, over time we become susceptible to these type of spirits. And what we do is we start to emotionally control and manipulate circumstances in order to protect ourselves. We put it on somebody else. Rebellion arises when self-ambition or protection or the fear of man are greater than the fear of God. And Proverbs 29, 25 literally says that the fear of man brings a snare. You're caught. Okay? Rejection, in my humble opinion, in my last number of years in pastoral work and in, in social work, rejection is the most common root of personal problems that I've ever seen in any individual person in my life. How do I know? Because I think every single one of us at one point in our lives has struggled with the issue of rejection. What happens when you're not picked for something at school? What happens when someone wants to be friends with someone else and you're not in the inner circle? What happens when you have a deprivation of parental love? What happens when your best friend disowns you and you know, takes you off Facebook? What happens when you thought you should have got the job and you were the most obvious choice for that job but somebody else got it because they manipulated the system and you're sitting there completely the perfect person for the job but you just got rejected because of someone else manipulating the game? How do you deal with that? Reality is is you're going to see rejection almost every single day of your life. You're going to have the opportunity to be rejected almost every single day of your life. But God wants you to see today there's something that can supersede rejection and it's called the acceptance of God's amazing love for you. doesn't matter what you can do. doesn't matter how much you can do. doesn't matter how much money you have or where you live in the city or what kind of job you have. God loves you. And that's the most incredible message that we can live by. Regardless of what witchcraft says, we are loved by God. Amen? Amen. A person who's rejected always, I shouldn't say always, consistently interprets people's motives or intentions in a completely wrong way. Okay? So here's what's interesting. It goes on in verse 27 to 35, and I don't have this on the screen, but just trust me on this. You can read it later. Three things were taken from Saul as a result of him coming under, or not taken from, but three things he lost as a result of coming under the influence of the spirit of witchcraft. The first thing was this, his identity. What was the first thing that happened? Verse 27, verse 28. He lost his identity as king over the nation of Israel. Samuel literally says, the kingdom will be taken from you this day. So everything that he'd built up in his life, everything he'd lived for was just taken away. His identity was lost. Second thing is this, his authority was taken. And the third thing was this, he lost his mentor. All in one day. Literally says that Samuel did not speak to Saul again. What happens when you create a particular set of messes in your life. One of the biggest things that happens when people operate under the spirit of witchcraft is they consistently do not have friends or people in their life that stay there for a long period of time because they cannot handle the chaos and the confusion of your life. Some people would argue, well, they should be Jesus to me. And that's what they would argue to you. Well, you're supposed to be Jesus to me. And my response is, um, I'm not a doormat. I love you, but I'm not a doormat. Now, I'm willing to help, but not in the ways that you want me to help. So help is non-negotiable. Absolutely non-negotiable. But how we help, how we engage that situation is. 
and it should be, because you need to protect yourself too. Amen? So, five key things, and I'm going to end. Five key things that um, are ways that witchcraft attacks believers. Are you ready? Number one, you feel like giving up. How many have ever felt that way? All right, good. So you probably have come under the influence of a spirit of witchcraft at some point in your life. When attacked, you feel tired, fatigued, depressed, down, discouraged. You feel like giving up. The, the witchcraft spirit actually drains you of the very purpose and desire and plan of God in your life. One of the things that often happens when I have discussions with people and they start to, they, you know, and we sit down and we have conversations and the conversation goes like this and the person starts talking to me and they say, you know, I'm just struggling with my purpose in life. I just don't know what I'm supposed to do and I, I just feel like everything I was so clear about before I just don't understand anymore. And you know what I say to them? Okay, tell me about your relationships. Like, what? Which Which ones? Every one of them. What's your relationship like with your parents? Step one. What's your relationship like with your spouse, your family, your kids? What's your relationship like with your friends? Is anybody in your life emotionally manipulating you to cause guilt and shame to come on your life? And they're like, how do you know? Because there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new. They try the same dumb games for 6,000 years of history. Just look at Adam and Eve. Nothing has changed since the garden. Not one thing. Now, it's a different box. It's got a different, you know, wrapping and a different bow on top. But it's the same games. Nothing's changed. So once I get to the bottom of this, I kind of go, so do you feel emotionally manipulated, blah, 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 blah. Then I come, I remember the next one. It says, yes, I am. So is that person in your life, do they, have a, do they have a voice in your life? In other words, do they speak into your life? Oh, yes, they do. And there's the problem. Their voice means more to you than the very voice of purpose coming from God's very mouth over your life. Somehow you've taken that word or that thought or that idea and you've placed more value and more worth on it than the very heartbeat of God for your life. Okay? Some people that get so down and so discouraged that they actually feel like giving up on God. They feel like the Christian walk is just this and I can't do it. I have news for you today. Um, We're going to have breakthrough. The Leafs are going to win the cup. <laughs> Kidding. Okay. All right. Boo. All right. All right. All right. All right. Okay. I want to just make a little light moment there just to keep going. So the second thing is this, is control. Controllers love to spend a lot of time with you. They love to be around you. They love to be in your personal space. They love to know everything about you. They are stalking you on Facebook. They want to know details. You'll connect with them at church on a Sunday morning, and then they're making statements about something that you had posted Five minutes before you got to church, and you thought to yourself, how in the world do you know that? It's like they know what's going on in your life. It's crazy. They love to use words to coerce and manipulate you. They love to put all of the attention back on themselves in every conversation. They love to talk about themselves, their accomplishments, their goals, their own personal revelation, their own dreams, their own hopes, and how you can help them do it. Okay? They're gifted, but they have no character. We had a great teaching on Wednesday night in our Equip 101 about an arrowhead and, a, and the shaft and the arrowhead representing someone's giftedness and the shaft representing someone's character or, or fruit. And I said, it doesn't matter how sharp that arrowhead is. You can have the sharpest arrowhead, but every single time you pull back that arrow and you let it go, if the shaft isn't straight, guess what? You're missing the mark every single time. So do not get duped by someone's giftedness, okay? 
or how much they hear from God. Okay? Hmm. Third thing is this, diversion. Diversion, diversion, this is what they do. This is, they're famous for this. People under its influence are masters of diverting attention away from themselves by turning it to you. You're the one that has done this in this situation. You are the one that has messed up this whole thing. Now I've got to save you again. Right? They actually make you think that you're the one with the problem, and you're the one that started the problem, that you're one, the one that's sustaining the problem, but it's not you. Okay? And when caught, the first thing out of their mouth is, I don't know what you're talking about. I love them. Like, I am so for them. I cannot believe that you're questioning my heart for this situation. How do I know? I could write a book on this stuff. I literally could write a book on this stuff. Maybe I will. But it is amazing to me how it doesn't matter the person, the face, the name, the, the, the conversations. It's all the same because it's the same spirit that's at work. Okay? One of the biggest things they love to do is to divert your attention from God's word. That's what their heart is. They want to divert your attention from God's word. The other thing that they love to do is they love to hang around the godly people. And this is what makes it confusing. People who operate under a spirit of witchcraft love to get close to the right people. Because in everyone else's perception, they're like them. Hence the deception. Right? So they love to get close to the pastors. They love to get close to their family. They love to get close to leaders. They love to kind of hang around them. But we have to understand there's a whole another motive behind that. The fourth thing is this. Some of you may have heard this term. Some of you may have not. But it's something I'm going to call soul ties. We talk about these things in some different connection points in our church. But soul ties, in essence, is an unhealthy or healthy connection in the realm of your soul. Such your mind, your will, and emotions. Okay? Right? So witchcraft's goal is to control you through an unhealthy soul tie connection to somebody else. I, and I don't want to say names, but I remember when I was in grade 7 and 8, my mom and dad will remember this person right as soon as I start talking, a kid that lived in our community who was up to no good. But he was a master manipulator. He would make me feel so bad if I didn't do exactly what he told me to do. And he would make me feel guilty forever and ever and ever. And I, I, thankfully, I didn't do anything bad, really bad. At least not that I could repent in front of my parents for. Nothing that bad. Um, but there were some things and just the, the, the environment that I got around with this guy. It was awful. But I learned very young, at a very young age, this is what witchcraft does. It manipulates and deceives and coerces you to follow its will. Okay. What do these people do in an unhealthy soul tie? They plant strife in order to separate God-ordained relationships in order to get you connected to them. They plant strife. It's like they plant bombs or plant mines. How many remember one of the biggest issues with D-Day wasn't just all the fire that was, you know, all the shots coming from the German uh, artillery. Half the battle was the mines that were buried on the beach, right? And so they had to get through the beach, not just not get shot, but not step on landmines. Well, the enemy loves to plant landmines called strife in every situation, okay? Fifth one is this, lying. Remember, Satan is the father of lies. Witchcraft plants lies in order to distract. Witchcraft plants lies in order to distract it. The more absurd the lie, 
the more you're distracted. Right? Okay. Listen to this. Here's a quote. I love this. Satan plants the lie that if you sacrifice truth on his altar, he will give you power for what you want now. If you sacrifice truth on his altar, he will give you power for what you want now. If you just go with this flow for a second and you just give in to what the Spirit is put pressuring you to do, and if you just follow what, where the reins and the bit is connecting you and, and aligning you to go towards, then all the situations will just be rectified overnight and everything's going to be okay. And the problem is, is now you've just gone from being a peace maker to being a peacekeeper. Peacemakers will never, ever, ever compromise truth in order to live a true sense of peace. And I'm not, you know, talking negatively against our our military in any way, but peacekeepers will compromise all the time in order to establish a false sense of truth. Not because the soldiers are doing it, because of the orders that are coming from on high. If we just do this and keeps everyone happy, it'll keep everyone happy. Let's just appease the appeasers. Doesn't work. It doesn't work because what it does is it creates more of a mess. Okay? Ezekiel chapter 13 verse 6 says, Their visions are false and their divinations a lie. Even though the Lord has not sent them, they say the Lord declares and expects him to fulfill their words. Even though the Lord did not send, they say he did. Even though the Lord never spoke to them, they say unequivocally that God spoke to me and told you to do such and such. One of the safest things that you can do in your life is when someone comes to you like that and you don't know their background, one of the first things I often do is I'm like, you know, that's, that, thank you so much for sharing that with me. Can you actually come over and meet with uh, Pastor Ray and Pastor Cameron and Pastor Sander, my pastors, and actually share the same thing in front of them? Guess what they do? Oh, I'm sorry, I got a family commitment. I got to go. They won't submit what God is showing them through healthy authority. And they want you to think that everything's going to be okay if you just follow what they say, but it's not. So I want to end with this thought. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 5. It says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments. One version says imaginations. How many know that half the problem that we go through in our, in our spiritual life is imagining all the things that aren't going to work out? Well, what happens if this doesn't change? What happens if this circumstance carries on again and again and again and again? What am I going to do then? It says cast them down. Don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Just worry about today because today has enough worries about today. There's enough worries in today that you could have, we can worry all day long about today. All right? It says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The amplified version of verse 5 says this, inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. It's interesting, going back to the story of Samuel and Saul, uh, Samuel the prophet uh, discerned the issues and dealt with it right away. 
When you look at the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 8 with Simon the sorcerer, and Acts chapter 13 with Elymas, which was a sorcerer as well, all of the apostles dealt with it right away. There was no waiting. It was instant dealing with it. Why? Because this is one of the most destructive spirits that operates in a church. Every church plant that is, or every church plant that's happened in this city in the last 40 years that I'm personally aware of has dealt with this spirit in the first three years of every church that's ever started in the last 40 years. Every church that's been in this city has come face to face with this spirit in attempts to split its church. Now, I just want to say very, again, unequivocally, we have a great church. Our church is an awesome spot. We don't have any problems. But we have to be aware. We have to be aware, because if we're going to be an apostolic uh, church in an apostolic city, then to think that this is never going to come our way would be completely foolish. We have to be aware, okay? Acts chapter 13 says this, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit set apart from, for them Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which they've called them. Interesting. They called somebody. They stepped into their calling. They stepped into their apostolic calling. And what happened right away? The instantaneous response of the enemy is witchcraft against an apostle. (laughs) Here we go. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to whatever that place is and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at that place, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. A little bit of Jesus in his name was trying to dupe them, right? Isn't that hilarious? That's exactly what happens in church. Just a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of the Holy Spirit with a little bit of something else. It's called mixture. It's not healthy, okay? All right. Who was an attendant of the proconsul, whatever his name is. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Alimas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means. That's, my name means broken nose. But it's better than that. Okay, that's good. All right. But Elamas, the sorcerer, appeased them, or sorry, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with... The Holy Spirit filled with the Holy Spirit. See the pattern? Okay, here we go. Looked straight at LMS and said, you are a child of the devil. Now, I'm telling you right now, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, sometimes things come flying out of your mouth that you didn't even know you're about to say. You know, I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm going to take notes on how to pastor people from this little section. You come to me, you got your problems. You are the devil! You know, I thought that probably, that probably wouldn't go over too well. So um, I'll I'll stick with my style. It usually works a little bit better. Um, But hey, what was he addressing? Spirit of witchcraft. He was giving it no leniency. Listen, you don't tolerate the spirit of witchcraft. You don't tolerate the spirit of religion. And you do not tolerate the spirit of Jezebel, which we're going to talk about in the next couple weeks. You can't tolerate it. You can't just look sideways and hope that it goes away. Because guess what will happen? They'll influence somebody right beside you without them even knowing it. Okay? You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. So he doesn't stop there. You are an enemy of everything that is right. Okay? You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time and not even able to see the light of the sun. 
Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Why in the world was the proconsul amazed and came to Christ? Why? Because he'd been under the influence of that same guy for years. And he finally he saw the Spirit of God unmask the spirit of witchcraft in an instant. And he looked and went, that must be God. I've been dealing with that guy for years, and I'm sick and tired of dealing with that. So that must have been God. Okay? Leviathan's goal is to separate God-ordained relationships. We learned that in the first two weeks. Religion's goal is to separate you from God's grace. Witchcraft's goal is to separate you from God's gift, the Holy Spirit. Which is why witchcraft is tough to figure out sometimes. Why? Because they counterfeit everything that the Spirit of God does. How many know that you're not going to counterfeit a $3 bill because there's no such thing as a $3 bill? That's, that's obvious. But the enemy, through witchcraft, will counterfeit the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants to do. Why? Because if you can counterfeit it and you believe it, you come under its control and influence. Be wary of people that claim to have all revelation and knowledge, but their personal lives are a mess. I've seen this in so many churches that people have manipulated leaders in churches in this city for years to get into positions of influence, but their home life is, an, is a disaster. Their marriage is on the rocks. I've seen situations where people and all of their children are not serving God. None of them. And I'm not saying that you have to have it perfect in your life in order to do whatever. There's obvious some balance and some grace with this, this stuff, okay? But if you're seeing financial disaster, relationship disaster, you know, uh, disaster in all these different areas in life, no stability, no connections, no continuity, no consistency of friends, hello, don't listen to them. You can be nice, love them, be nice, encourage them, tell them to get connected. These people will never get connected because they don't want to connect because then they have to have someone speak into their life, which they don't want. But encourage people like that to get connected. And once you see that they don't, then you just got to take your hands off and step back. Okay? That was good. Thank you. All right. Okay, here we go. So what do we do if we're stuck with this? It's very simple. We need to repent. If you're under that influence or if you are being used under that influence, repent. Second thing is this. Rebuke the enemy's work in your life. Restore what you've broken. Restore relationships that are broken. Resist the enemy's temptation to continue to do it and relate to the right people and receive the Holy Spirit. Bingo. Solves everything. Let's stand, let's stand together this morning. I got lots, as I said last, or last week or the week before, I got so much stuff on each of these things, I'm trying to pare it down. I'm just having a hard time. But I want you to know today, We serve an amazing God. We serve a God that is breaking chains, that is literally shifting things across this city. We're we're serving a God that is for you and not against you. But you have to understand that in every situation, every circumstance, there is a possibility that someone in your life could be under that influence trying to influence you. There's also moments in your life where you could, because of rejection, hurt, uh, a lack of acceptance because of an inner healing issue or wound in your life that you haven't dealt with, you could actually come under the influence of that thing as well. So this isn't about, you know, standing in front of everyone saying, hello, my name is Cameron, and I operate under the spirit of witchcraft. That's not what we're going to do. Here's what I want you to do. 
Make up your mind today that the voice of that spirit of witchcraft will no longer have influence in your life. That whether it's you coming under it or whether it's coming against you, you make a decision today that the only voice you're going to listen to is God's voice and those people that he puts into your life to bless you, to encourage you, and to be life-giving in your life. Whether that's your small group leader, whether that's your pastors, whether that's key Christian friends. Like, honestly, I look around this group. I'm just going to pick on you guys in the front row. But I look at Renee and Lori and Lisa. I know Joel's not here. And some of the connections through their small group. I mean, these guys are like family. And they should be. And that's awesome. But you know what's awesome? I look at Jeff and Rachel. I look at Scott Carling and the connection points in some of the different groups that are going on with Ignite and things like that. Families are happening. Healthy relationships are happening. Why? Because God can use even those people that are sitting next to you in church to be that same blessing and that same word of encouragement to you. Listen, if you've got the wrong group of friends around you, change them. And don't do it overnight because then they'll be rejected and then they're going to give in to the spirit of witchcraft. (laughs) But just subtly over time, just back away over time. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray for the boldness of the Holy Spirit to address issues and to address things in our lives that we know are not natural, but are supernatural. They're demonic. Father, I pray, Lord God, for every single person that is in this room, Lord, that if they have struggled with relationships in their life that have literally manipulated them, and emotionally manipulated them over and over and over again. I pray, Lord God, for a release and a breaking of that influence over their lives in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would do a deep work in their heart and help them to see and to know the Spirit of God and how He operates and the spirit of witchcraft and how He operates. Lord, help us to see the counterfeit that is being done through that Spirit in the name of Jesus. Father, if there's any, of, any one of us in this room that have struggled with rejection or struggled with wounds or just hurts and we haven't dealt with it, Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would just forgive us for giving in to the lies of those wounds, to the lies of that rejection that has said that we have to control people in order to feel safe. Father, I pray, Lord God, that those wounds would be healed this day And that the very uh, twisted thinking that has been produced in people's minds would become clear and would be done away with. Father, I pray, Lord God, for healing of everybody, spirit, soul, and body. In the name of Jesus. And everyone said this morning, amen. Bless you guys. I just want to encourage you with a couple of things. Again, I know, thank you. I know this is a heavy topic series, very heavy, but I have news for you guys. God's doing this because he sees the potential of this city. He sees the potential of the churches in this city. And he sees the potential of your life. And so know today, God is showing you things so that you can help unmask other people's situations and circumstances from their life that are very destructive. Ray, Pastor Ray's just going to share something. Good morning. I'm sorry to keep you for just a few minutes longer. Um, just as Pastor Cameron was finishing up and, and he was praying, I was just feeling that the Spirit of God wants to bring an exhortation to you that you can walk away here with a tool in your tool belt um, because I I, I really believe that the voice of the Lord is really wanting to break through in this moment in time in a very um, deep and integral way. And um, I'm hoping God will help me to get this out. 
Um, there are 300 million people in the United States, and only 10 million people vote. That's a very small percentage of voices that actually allow their voice to arise and vote when it comes to putting a leadership into the presidency. I want to relate that to us, that we are 140 people approximately here. And in our city, uh, what is it, 320,000 live in our city? 120,000. 127,000, yeah. that 120,000, okay. Um, but still 140 people in many ways looks like a very small voice. But I believe that God is wanting to say to you that what happens over a city, what happens over a family, what happens over a city, what happens over a nation is toleration. Mm. That when we tolerate and we allow the enemy's voice to arise over the voice of God, that we are tolerating something that God never ordained for us to tolerate. And I believe that God is saying this morning for you as an individual, you as a family, then us as a church, then us as a community, then us as a city, then us as a nation, that it's time to stop tolerating. We have things that are coming across this nation, bills that are being put forward, things that are happening in the spiritual realm that Pastor Cameron was speaking of this morning because of toleration. You know, sometimes we look at our nations and we think, how in the world can we change a nation? How in the world can we change a city? How can we change a community? How can we change a family? How can we change us? And God says, don't tolerate what I don't tolerate. Do you hear hear what I'm saying this morning? Is that things are happening in our nation because we as individual individuals are choosing to allow something to be tolerated in our lives that God never ordained for it to be tolerated. So as each one of us, the 140 or some odd people that are here this morning, if you as an individual start to change what you're tolerating, make sure that it's aligning with, with what God would want you to tolerate then that will change you, that will change your family, that will change your church, that will change your community, that will change your nation. And a nation can change the world. You know, Jesus Christ is the seed of truth and not tolerating the enemy's lies. Allow that seed of not tolerating what God did not ordain to be birthed in your heart to be burst in your life, to be burst in the obedience of your actions. And can I say this, that I believe wholeheartedly that if you will allow God to do that in your life, if you will open up your mind, your heart, and your spirit, if you will be so honest with God, He will remove that, that thing in your life, that thing in your family, that thing in your, in your community very, very quickly. Because He's rooting out the very root of the enemy's voice. Amen. 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 Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 